Hello everyone and welcome to my first episode of my podcast. I'm actually recording this as well so I'm going to put this on YouTube too but I'm actually very excited about this. Um, I've never done anything like this before. I've um, been on a few podcasts where I've been interviewed but I've never actually asked myself questions that I want to answer and share with you guys and on today's episode the first episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about myself. But just to give you guys a heads up, on this podcast, on this YouTube series, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring on people to interview and share information with you guys that you enjoy, educate you, help you, and most importantly, make you smile. And that's what it's all about, you know. A lot of people have been asking me what the next step for Diren is. What's the next step for you? And Actually, supporting James on his book tour, I was opening the shows for him and I realised I'm actually alright at talking. I mean, I do a lot of talking on my stories, but you know what? Why don't I do a podcast? You know, I like holding a mic, I like talking, so why not? Why not share with you guys? A lot of people have actually been asking me too. So let's start on the first episode and talk a little bit about me. And talking about me, I can't talk about me and not mention my family because my family mean everything to me. If it wasn't for my family, I wouldn't be where I am today. You know, if it wasn't for, if my mom didn't give birth to me and if my dad didn't give her the good good, you know, I wouldn't be here and you guys wouldn't know about knee up 24-7. It's funny because obviously English, English is my parents' third language actually, not second. Their first language is Kurdish, second is Turkish and third English. English isn't their strong point, so I can be really cheeky with whatever I say, you know, and kind of get away with it, unless my sister snitches on me and translates it over. But starting with my family, my family, um, I have a huge family. For you guys that don't know and always ask me what my background is, I'm actually Kurdish. For you guys that don't know what Kurds are, Kurds are actually pretty much like indigenous people that are scattered around Turkey, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Armenia. We're all over the place. We're all over... We're all over that region and we're all over Europe. I mean, listen, if you want to find any of us, just go over to North London, yeah? Go to Green Lanes and you'll find us there. The best Turkish and Kurdish food, go to Green Lanes. Hashtag this is not an ad. Or just go to my dad's restaurants in East London, Prince Regent's Lane, Charcoal Restaurants, E13. I don't know the rest of the postcode. But anyway, so talking a bit about my parents, my dad comes from a huge family. So does my mum. My mum has like seven siblings. My dad has like 11 or 12. Yeah, pretty big. And I have over, just from my dad's side, have over 69 first cousins. What a number to land on. I've got 70 or 71, something around them. One, my cousins are always like, my cousins and my uncles, aunties, they're always popping babies, man. That's one thing Turks and Kurds are good at. We're very family orientated and everyone's just popping babies. And one of the best things about having a huge family, having loads of cousins, uncles, and aunties is anytime you need something, there is someone there to help you. So for example, if you need a mechanic, yo, Mehmet, I need you to fix my car. Can you sort it out, please? If you need a fruit and veg shop, yo, Thailand, please, man, I need that red pepper, that fresh red pepper. And if, if I don't know anyone in my family that does what I need, they will find someone uh, with whatever I need, you know, and that's one of the best things about having such great community and family oriented people. And a big part of that comes from my cultural background, you know, being Turkish and Kurdish, coming from 
if we look at it in general, if you look at poor countries, people that come from poor backgrounds, they rely on family and community, which is actually such a cool thing. And I've probably gained all my people skills from that because my family are very much like that. And in the late 80s, uh, there was always problems with Kurds in Turkey, you know. So in the late 80s, my parents decided to seek asylum to the UK, you know, where obviously the best thing ever happened. I was born, you know, who wouldn't want a child like me? Like, come on, you know. Um, they moved over to the UK. My sister, my mum and my dad migrated over. And then I was born in Tottenham, North Middlesex Hospital. Tottenham stand up. Um, actually, funny fact for you, uh, I was born in the same hospital as Adele. Probably a few, not probably, definitely a few years apart. No offense, Adele. One day I'm sure I'll have you on this podcast. But um, yeah, fun little fact for you. And they migrated over because of all the stuff that was happening in Turkey. You know, Kurds are, Kurds are, have always kind of been suppressed in loads of countries. And during that time, my dad found an opportunity and I'm glad he did because luckily for me and my sister, I've had every opportunity I could in life and it was, I mean, I'm very thankful for that. So thank you, mum and dad, for migrating over because I'm sure that wouldn't have been easy, you know, going to a country where you don't even speak any language, you know. And anyway, I was born. I was born in Tottenham. When people, people always ask me, like, Darren, where are you from in London? I'm like, oh, it's so hard to explain because like, I was born in Tottenham. Went to school in East London, but we'll get on to that in a minute. But I've been like all over. But if you look at all the Turks and Kurds, what the council do is like, when refugees come over to a country, you'll see that they all like, put them into like one area so they kind of keep each other happy, you know? Which is, I guess, kind of a, kind of smart, you know? Keep them together for now. But um, yeah, I was born in North Middlesex Hospital and my uncle named me Diran Kartal. That's how you say it in Turkish, Diran Kartal. And my name actually means resistance. So another little fact for you guys, most Turkish, all Turkish, Kurdish names, they actually mean something. So Diran means resistance. My surname, Kartel, Kartal, means eagle. So my first name is pretty much a very, very political name, you know, and they did me. My family kind of, my uncle kind of did me off already, you know, because when I was going to Turkey for like football trials at 16, before I even stepped on the pitch, the coach knew my parents' political view. And if it was against him, my man would have crossed me off before I even got off the pitch. And you know what? If anyone asks me, yeah, that's going to be my excuse of why I didn't become a footballer. You know, let's not talk about that. You know, still a bit sad about that, but we'll get on to that too. Um, so yeah, it's a political name. Funny, like, you know, in Turkey, yeah, when there's so much, if you talk to any Turk, anyone in that region of the world, it, whatever conversation you have, it comes back around to politics somehow. You know, I can't have a conversation with my dad without it going or talking about politics. You talk to little kids in Turkey, you know, in London or in the UK, you get kids that are like, talk about, yo fam, what happened in, um, what happened with Man United versus Arsenal fam? In Turkey, you got kids talking about politics. It's crazy, you know? There's such a big, like, division between political views in Turkey. You kind of get judged straight away just from your political view. And it's one of those countries where whoever you vote for actually makes a huge difference. And in the UK, not saying it doesn't matter, whoever you vote for obviously makes a difference, but not to the extent it does in countries like Turkey. You know, it's like... It's, 
it makes such a huge difference. Whereas in the UK, you kind of get on with your day, you still have a good lifestyle, do you know what I mean? You might pay a little bit more tax and all of that stuff, but it's not actually too mad. You still have a great lifestyle. And so after I was born, my parents had the opportunity, when I mean opportunity, they got a new council house to move to East London. They moved to East London and that's where I actually went to school. Um, I went to school, I went to primary school in New City Primary School, secondary school in Royal Docks Community School, which Ofsted obviously took over because it was such a shitty school. You know, I mean, it wasn't good, man. And then I went to college in Hackney. So when people ask me like where I'm from in London, I've kind of been all over the place a little bit. I still am a little bit all over the place, which is one of the things I actually really, really love. But one of the things is um, in primary school, I was actually very good. I was good, man. I was smashing it. Maths, English, yeah, science, all that. That was me, man. I was good. I was good. I struggled. I had learning difficulties, but I was good. Went to secondary school. Whoop. Went downhill. When I mean downhill is I realized, well, in year seven, my tutor at the time told my sister I had learning difficulties. And I don't know if it was, if I am, I think I am dyslexic, but I can't tell if I'm dyslexic or if it's the fact that I'm bilingual and I speak two languages and my first language is Turkish. So therefore, it's very difficult for me to read things, you know? And even like when we're traveling, me and James, when we, when we travel together, we're always very like, we're competitive with everything, like uh, content, reading a book, this, whatever. Smith will read me like his email before I wrote it. And we're sitting down for like half an hour, 45 minutes, and I'm still writing an email. And he's like, are you still writing an email? I'm like, yeah, bro. Let me live, man. I speak two languages, all right? It's difficult for me to read, uh, read and write. And he'll get me to like read something on his page and I'm reading it, right? It's like when I read something in my brain, it goes in, right? And it's like translating in English and Turkish. So it's like it processes a little bit slower, you know? And Jens will be like, are you still on that first paragraph? I'm like, bro, let me live, man. You don't speak two languages. You don't know my people have suffered. No, I'm joking. Not to that extent. Obviously not. I haven't suffered. I mean, come on, man. Man's from London, you know? I mean, how many people actually suffer in London? I'm sure they do. That's a whole different debate. Let's not get into that. Let's not get into that. But um, yeah, so I went to school in uh, New City, then secondary school at Royal Docks. And at secondary school, all I cared was football. I just wanted to play football, man. I just, all I wanted to do was become a footballer all my life and play football. And I did. I just couldn't concentrate in class. I remember in one parent's evening in year nine or something, one of my tutors at the time, she really liked me. She knew I was cheeky. I was never rude to the teachers because my parents were always on my case. I mean, I was, I was raised well. I was never rude, but I was cheeky and I knew what I could get away with. And one of the, one of the tutors, I remember parents' evening, just like, Darren just doesn't stop talking to the girls. Lad. What are you saying? Um, and I just couldn't concentrate, you know. I couldn't. I would listen to the teacher or they would get me to read something and it just wouldn't process into my brain. Yet when I was doing something practical, something sport-related or football-related or anything, it would just go in like, like so quickly when I would do practical stuff. And then I realized I'm obviously more of a practical learner than someone that likes to read because I struggle with reading so much that I just do audiobooks. Even James's book, man. I just do an audiobook. audiobook. I'm just going to audiobook it because it's just way easier for me. I go for a walk, get my knee up 24-7 and listen to an audiobook, you know? And after secondary school, uh, one thing I was upset about secondary school, obviously I don't really care now, but um, is I missed my prom. I missed my prom, man. At 16 years old, I went to Turkey to trial for a lot of football clubs. Um, my, dream, my, my dream was always to become a footballer. 
you know I always wanted to be a footballer everyone wants to be a footballer or an athlete or something big you know I still I still want that I mean if I could be a footballer today would I be probably not because I'm loving my lifestyle now but um, I always wanted to be a footballer and I went on trials when I was 16 years old and my dad was in Turkey with me as well my dad was he's, he's one of these guys he's a go-getter you know and that's where I get that from and we would just rock up to clubs right rock up to clubs and my dad would ask for a trial and we would go in there with like my dad's Mercedes, right? And buying a Mercedes in the UK isn't that expensive. Like you get a C-class Mercedes, it's not very expensive. But you rock up in Turkey at a football club with a C-class, they think you're a bloody millionaire. And it's not the case. It is not the case in the UK. You know, cars are just way more expensive in Turkey. So as soon as I get to like football clubs and go trialing, I was judged straight away, man. I had it tough. I had it tough. Let's leave aside that I wasn't the best of footballers, but I was good enough, you know? I was good enough. If I had the confidence that I had now, then I would have done a lot better. But I went on trial to Turkey and I eventually signed for a football club in Turkey in Istanbul. So I ended up living in Istanbul when I was 16 years old, which was sick. But um, living in Istanbul, it was, I'll tell you why it was so cool. I was in the Asia side, staying with a family friend, right? In the Asia side, my football training was in the Europe side. And there was two ways to get across. You either get the beautiful Bosporus, which looks beautiful, but if you're on it when there's traffic, it is awful, you know? Or you get the ferry across, you pay like a pound or something. You get the ferry across, you have your headphones on and you're listening to music. Me thinking I'm gangster at 16, listening to grand music. On my way to football training, spring, summer, it's just beautiful, you know? Seagulls, you're chucking simit, what we call simit, right? It's like bread. You throw it up in the air, there's seagulls just grabbing it and like, Imagine the content I would have got then if I was on socials. Anyway, and it was great. I mean, living there, moving away from home at 16 really taught me a lot of things and living with other people. You learn to respect other people's space a lot more. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm very socially aware of other people around me, which is such an important skill to have that so many people lack in today's day and age. We're so worried about upskilling in this and that masters this that whatever which is all great but people forget with whatever job you do whatever career you're doing you're dealing with people one way or another you're going to deal with people you're going to hire someone you're going to work with someone you're going to chat to someone that is work related so being socially aware aware of knowing what to say and knowing and knowing when to shut up is very important you know, and it's one of those things I just think we should all be more aware of, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I don't really fall out with people and why me and James have such a good friendship is because um, we're very socially aware. We're very socially aware of each other. We know when we're not to cross the line and um, it's such a great skill to have that I like to teach a lot of people, you know, and I like to make people more aware of it. But anyway, living in Turkey was great. But after... Uh, playing football for a year I did miss home because I was such a London boy I missed home although I knew I, I knew I was good at football but I always had the fear and the gut feeling that it wasn't going to happen for me and now I realize that more than ever and instead of forcing it at the time I've, I missed home so much I wanted to be in London I went back a year after playing I was at Besiktas one of the biggest clubs in um, in Turkey I wasn't playing that's a different story. I was outside the squad most of the time. But I was, at, I was at an academy club and I improved my football so much. I went back to the UK, started playing non-league and Sunday league at a Turkish um, 
in a Turkish league too. But I went back thinking, I need to do so. I need to go to college. I need to make sure I get a decent education because if I don't, if this, if this messes up, then I'm screwed. So I went to college a year later than most kids, a year and a half later than most kids in Hackney Community College. Rap, rap, Hackney, what's going on? So as you can see, everywhere I was located in London was the ends. So you had to be very street smart. If you wasn't, you were either getting robbed, you were getting beat up or yeah, it was one of the two. So you had to be street smart. You had to use your brain in different ways. It's like, you know, when people like, anyone that knows me will, will tell you that I'm very aware of my surroundings. I watch everything, I see everything. James calls this the Turkish tingle, you know? And you have to be being raised in those sort of areas. And I was never in any gangs or anything, all of that stuff. My parents were on my case, my dad was on my case and I was playing football so much. I never really got into any of that. But I always knew who did what and who was where. How do we get right there? Like, nah, 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 that's a track, that's a grime track. You guys probably won't know, but anyway. But um, yeah, I was always very aware of that. And in Hackney, I studied B-Tech level two in sport. I did B-Tech level two and three. I wanted to finish that in case I wanted to go to university. And I picked that because I knew anything to do with sport, exercise, and the human body, I was always very interested in. I was one of those kids that on my way to college, I would listen to, I would be watching YouTube videos of Charles Poliquin, Brett Contreras and all of that stuff. And you know what the sick thing is? Brett Contreras knows me now. I was DMing him today. He invited me to his house, hashtag fanboying, but I don't care. It's pretty cool. You know, Charles Poliquin, RIP, man like Charles. I didn't make it that far to meet him, but anyway. And in college, I did well. I did well with that. And while I was at college, uh, my tutor, Sonia, uh, all the people at college that helped me out, uh, Sonia, Davina, Tom, Brian, um, they helped me out a lot, you know, in college. And Sonia, who was my main tutor at the time, she told me, her and Davina told me, like, Dylan, why don't you go ahead and do a PT course, like earn some money while you're doing that, uh, while you're doing your course and all of that. And I did, and I started doing my PT course, which I'm so happy I did. And they taught me so much, the basic principles. So. I've been learning about exercise, sport, training since I was like 17 years old, but I've been applying it since I was like under sevens in football. So nowadays you get a lot of personal trainers that come into a six week course and they think they're all, they think they know, but they don't know, you know what I mean? And when you compare it to someone that's been in it for years and years and years and years and played the long game like I have and all the other good personal trainers have, that's when you can really tell the difference between a good coach and the difference between a bad coach. And whilst doing my PT course, um, I was a floor instructor, became a floor instructor. I was working in Fitness First Oxford Circus um, as a floor instructor whilst going to college and playing semi-professional football. I was non-stop. I was always doing something. I've always been hungry, like, to become something. The mad thing was, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to become, but I just wanted to be great at whatever I did, you know? I was always competitive. I still am. And... I think it's a good, I think it's a, I think it's, it's something good to have. Being competitive is good, as long as you don't cross the line and become a dickhead. I think it's good. But um, I always wanted to become something. And working in a gym, as I was studying, was again one of those things when it comes to coaching that taught me so well. Another big problem that you see, uh, that I've seen, is you see so many, like, people with their masters in sports science or sports science degrees and whatever and they come out of university they go straight into um 
they go straight into a job and they actually haven't dealt with coaching people on a day-to-day basis. Therefore, they don't know how to transfer their knowledge, the skill that they've learned across to general population or an athlete. What most people don't realize and see is you require people skills to get across a message. So sometimes getting across the most simple message, like knee up 24-7 in a cool, trendy way to thousands of people makes a bigger impact than trying to overload someone with information that they'll never understand, you know? But uh, yeah, so I did that in college. I was, and then I became a fully qualified personal trainer. But um, before that, sorry, before that, when I came back, from football, from Turkey, I had to go back with, live with mum and dad after going away and living away from them at 16 years old. I came back and I had to sleep on a couch because my mum actually moved out of our main house in East London. My sister moved out. She had a job, she was teaching. And my mum and dad moved up into, on top of their business. We had a laundrette in Chapel Market in Angel. Yeah, and the room upstairs was leased out to some like Italian girl or something. So I didn't have a room, man. Imagine that coming back home and you don't even have a bedroom. I come home and I'm sleeping next to mum and dad. My mum and dad are sleeping on a bed there and I'm on the couch. So that was a little bit difficult. But um, luckily that Italian girl buggered off like a month later and I had my room back, which was great. But uh, and then studied that in college, got a, like a PT job and everything. Also along those times, when I was 17 and started studying at college, I actually met a girl. I met a girl. Kind, kind of fell in love, not kind of fell in love, I did fell in love, I fell in love with an Australian, you know, I was pretty young, I was, I'm not going to say stupid, I didn't know any better, and I don't want to talk about it much, because in a sense, I, I want to respect that person, because I actually ended up spending over seven years with that person, I was actually engaged to them, and that was my only link to Australia, the reason I have a de facto is because I was with an Australian for so long, and my link to Australia, original link to Australia, was her. I was with her for seven years, and I actually walked away from a wedding, you know? I actually walked away from a wedding. It's always tough for me to talk about it a little bit because I feel like I really upset a lot of people, so it's difficult for me to talk about, uh, for me to talk about it, and out of respect to her, I don't really, I'm not really gonna go into it. But that is my link to Australia. And so the whole Australia story, when I was 17, I met someone. I went in and out. I did the whole long-distance relationship thing. At 19 years old, I went and lived in Australia for a little bit. Um, started working there as a receptionist in the fitness first. So when it comes to like being in the fitness industry or whatever, I started from the bottom as a receptionist. I was cleaning treadmills. Started from the bottom, now I'm here. Yeah. Um, so I was in working in, uh, for your Australian listeners, in the western suburbs of Australia, Castle Hill, near Balkham Hills. Ran there, I was working there as a, in, the, in Castle Towers Shopping Centre as a receptionist first, you know. I made a lot of friends and everything, it was great, but that, that side of Sydney, it's not me, man. I mean, I come from a concrete jungle, to that it was very difficult for me, you know. But um, anyway, putting that aside, I did a year in Australia, came back to the UK, then went back out to Turkey, played a little bit more football, you know, played like non-league in Turkey, played non-league in England. I was always chasing the whole football dream, always. But at the same time, I was studying as well, excuse me, I was studying as well so I don't miss out on anything, right? And um, we, we, in college, 
I left with like distinctions and everything, you know. I did good, man. Anything like I said with sports related and all of that stuff was great. And when I was working in the fitness first in Oxford Circus, I was crushing it. When I got qualified, I was like 19, 20, 21. I was, I was crushing it as a personal trainer and I was great on the gym floor. I was really good at hustling on the gym floor. So I always, I was always fully booked. And one day I got this email, I got this email and it kind of rocked me. I was like, oh God, no. I was like, what's this? Got an email from the Australian Gulf that I got full residency in Australia. The mad thing was, I should have known then that I shouldn't have gone ahead with like such a long distance relationship at such a young age. And I got full residency living in Australia. And I was shaking my head. I was actually training my client at the time. My client was like, what's wrong? I said, I've just got full residency in Australia. And she was like, congratulations, isn't that a good thing? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I actually don't know. I'm like, I don't want to like, I don't want to upset anyone, but you know what? I'm going to go ahead and move over because most people would be excited after getting de facto. But at that time in my life, I was young and I think I was making decisions based on other people's happiness more so than mine, which is now what I prioritize a lot. I prioritize me and my family more than anything now. And that's what everyone else should be doing. You try to make other people happy. You're going to end up resenting people and you're going to end up hating yourself later. So that's a big lesson I've learned. And another lesson I've learned is just being selfish. Just It's one of those things that I find difficult to do because I feel like I am a caring person. And so it's something difficult to do, but I am becoming better at being selfish. So what I did was I moved to Australia. Had a great time. It was good. Ended up working in Fitness First Jaw Street. Fitness First Jaw Street. So after working with the job at Fitness First Jewel Street, I went into, right? So with the job at Fitness First Jewel Street, I went in. When I went in, I asked for the manager. Because you know when you drop a CV off? When you drop a CV off to someone, they usually, the receptionist usually gets it and puts it away. You know, they kind of put it away. And I was like, nah, 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 nah. Please, can you call me your manager? I want to talk to your manager, please. And I called the manager up and the manager at the time was Adriana at Fitness First. She was very nice to me, very nice. But she told me there was no jobs going. I was taking, I weren't going to take, I weren't going to say, I weren't going to take it. I was like, I'm not having that. I was like, listen, I said, a personal trainer is not self-employed here. She was like, yes. I said, okay, cool. I said, you hire me. I said to her, I said, you hire me today because I like the gym I was at. I was like, you hire me at Jewel Street. It was just under the Suncourt building. I said, you hire me. I said, I don't want any leads off you. I don't want anything off you. I said, if you don't believe me, take me to the gym floor right now. And I said, I'll get 10 numbers and I'll convert three of them into clients. And she looked at me and she paused. She paused and she looked at me and she was like, okay, I'm going to get you in for an interview. And she got me in for, and she got me in for an interview. I ended up going through the interview process, did very well and got the job straight away. And when I went to Fitness First, uh, Jewel Street, it was uh, one of those things where like, it went from being a PT from London, went from seeing it as a job, to like really seeing it as a career in Sydney. I've really had to level things up because in London, it was great, I was doing well, but a lot of people around me were looking at it as like hourly rate, just like 50 pound an hour sort of thing. And I remember the boys I was working with London, still some of my best mates, uh, some of the guys that were there, not all of them, 
they used to see me walking out midday and going and training with another personal trainer at another gym. And they used to ask me like, what are you going to do? And I used to be like, I'm going to train with this coach. They're like, what? A personal trainer training with another personal trainer? And I was like, yeah. I mean, that's how you upskill. You train with, you, you surround yourself with people that, are, that challenge you, you know? That's how you grow as a person. And a lot of people don't do this enough. You are pretty much the five people you're surrounded by. And it's very important to keep those people around you. So I always wanted to upskill then. And I was upskilling then. I was pretty much, I would say I was the, one of the big dogs in Oxford Circus. But when I moved to Sydney, man, it was a different game. I was seeing personal trainers with million dollar apartments in the CBD. I was seeing guys charging $160 a session. And I was like, boy, I want to make this money. But I had to up my game. So one of the things I did was I took on pretty much like two mentors at George Street. One of them was Nick Tate the best looking 40 year old I've ever seen in my life, mate. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Nick Tate, 40 years old, mate, unbelievable. All these girlfriends look like models. And then I had Graham Morris. Don't worry, Graham, man, you're good looking too, but not as good looking as Nick, let's not. Let's, you, I think we both know that, but Graham Morris, in my eyes, one of the best SNC coaches in Australia, someone that is so underrated, it actually pisses me off a little bit. He's, he's so good and he was one of my mentors. Anything to do with strength and conditioning, he was my guy to go to. So what I did was I had those guys as mentors to help me out in the gym to help me grow. And Graham, Nick helped me a lot. Graham helped me a lot more. I spent more time with Graham Morris and he helped me so much when it came to training principles and was training me a lot, was doing my programming. And I had to level up and I did level up. I did very well on the gym floor. I was very good at prospecting and I was good at building a business. I went from taking cash in hand in London to creating direct debits in Australia and doing things more properly and looking at it as a career, you know? And now I see so many personal trainers, they, they try to get qualified because they just see the number as 50 pound an hour fam, all of that, you know? When, when you're in things for the wrong reason, you know it doesn't last. And one of the things with personal training is I'm pretty sure self-employed personal trainers, something like a ridiculous percentage, like 90% actually drop off, which is crazy, which is absolutely crazy, you know? And when I was working there, I was having, I was having moments where I loved Australia. I didn't like my situation because of where I was living and not because of who I was with, my ex, but more so me, I wasn't, I wasn't fully fulfilled with life. I was like, is this it? What, I live in this area? What now? I'm gonna get married and have a kid? What, I'm gonna drive a Volvo? No offense to all you guys that are like that, but it just wasn't for me. It wasn't me at the time, right? I feel like I was with someone from such a young age, I didn't get to experience the things that most people, most of my friends and family did around me. And I was kind of jealous. I was like, I'm missing out here, man. I'm going to the gym and I'm getting, I'm getting attention, females wanna to chat to me, I wanna to chat to females, but I feel guilty chatting to them. So I wasn't doing it and I feel like I missed out on that, right? And at that time, I had to, one of my friends, Michael Hector, football player, he actually flew me out to London. He actually flew me out to London to train him for his pre-season. He just got signed for Chelsea and he, he flew me out to train him. Couldn't actually get to train him at the end because Chelsea got involved and so it was like, pretty much like nah but anyway he told me to use the ticket I went out to London and I saw my family for the summer spent like six weeks in the UK um, during summer and it was the first time in a long time that I went traveling on my own and I loved every minute of it mate it was so good it was so good for like six years everything I've been doing was like making decisions based on other people and it was like 
when I did something for me, it was mad. So anyone that's listening, if you haven't done anything for you for a long time, you go do it, man. It feels so good. It feels like unreal. And what I did was I went and did that, right? Went over and it just opened my eyes to the world. Um, at that gym as well, at George Street, that's where I actually met James. James came into the gym. Um, I just saw him as another English bloke, but a lot of people in the gym didn't like him. They didn't like him because I think they saw, not they saw the wrong side of him, they didn't understand him. A lot of people, again, another problem with society, I keep mentioning like problems, but like people don't read into people. They don't realize, they don't read into why that person has said this. I'm one of those people that when someone speaks to me, I try and evaluate why they have said that and why they are the way they are, you know? So James is one of those people that people I think misunderstood. He didn't come across bad, he didn't come across wrong, but people misunderstood him. And I would say I was pretty much, me and a couple others were the only ones that gave him a chance, really. And I just saw him as an English lad that came into the gym, wanted to have a laugh, show himself off, be like, hey, my name's James, sort of vibe. You know, and a lot of people misunderstood him and didn't really like him in the gym. And I liked him. He was just an English lad traveling, good PT. So I took him out for a coffee. We ended up being friends. When I was in Europe, he was in Croatia. I went out to Croatia, um, not to meet him, but I was just traveling on my own. They were very close. And that's where I ended up meeting him and tall white friend Jade. And had a time in my life with them. That week, at cell week in Croatia was unbelievable. I had such a good time. I had such a good time. And when I went back to Australia after that, I struggled. I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? What am I doing in my life? Why am I basing all my decisions based on other people instead of myself? So I'd pretty much after that, a lot of things happened in my relationship at the time. But just before that, James had an idea. This is At this point, James wasn't, big online he had a few thousand followers he was sitting outside doing his live q a's and i was that guy that jumped behind him in a live q a be like yo my name's Darren. i'm from london follow me for fitness tips this guy's shit like bantering and obviously james liked that because no one else was really doing that you know and one of the things yeah so many people in Aust not Australia, everywhere so many personal trainers in general are insecure so they they weren't really good at being like the way i was with james right and James, at that point, after, after we became friends, spent a bit of time, he had a business idea. He told me about his business idea and he said he needed an IT guy. And one thing I'm good at is bringing people together. And I said, you know what, bruv? I said, I've got a guy for you, fam. Maybe not that deep in the voice, but I said, I've got a guy for you. And I lined him up with my best friend, uh, James Shaw, who is now his business partner. And I was the best man at his wedding actually recently. Very proud of that. First time we became best man. Um, and they became business partners. They knew of each other, but I nudged them together and kind of pushed them together a little bit. And I kind of knew, I kind of thought I would naturally be a part of that too, you know? And I ended up being, they, they, they created JSA. I ended up being the head coach at JSA and worked with them for about a year and a half. And which was great, great experience to going into online PT, which is something that's very difficult. I was someone that's very good with people, but trying to get that across online and make a sale in an email was mental. It was like very difficult for me. And that was when I first kind of got exposed to email marketing uh, through James. I heard it through James and then I heard more about Paul Moore and everything. But um, before James even, before James even was like friends with me, I was actually on his email list. I wanted to know what this guy was doing. When before the whole JSA idea, he actually came up to me 
And I asked him what he does, and he's like, oh, I work online, blah, blah, blah. I've got a few online PTs. I said, how many you got? How much money are you making? And it wasn't much at all, but it was enough to get by. And I said to him, I said, what are you doing here? I said, go. I said, go away from the gym. I'm like, that is the escape that I want. And he sparked my brain, and I saw that as an opportunity. I was like, that is sick. I was like, I could do that. I could do that as me, you know? So I asked him. I didn't know, I actually didn't ask him. I told him. I said, yo, I'm coming to your seminar in London and you're telling me how you started this online thing. And I didn't give him no options. <laughs> and he showed me a few things and it kind of, the whole online thing kind of took off from there. We ended up being very good friends. Me, him, James Shaw. I was helping out the JSA. I was, I knew that helping the JSA, I was helping two of my best friends, but it was also a learning curve for me. I knew I wasn't going to be there forever. But I wanted to be there to support them because I really feel like what goes around comes around. You help people, you be a good person, you be positive around people. And I think you'll, you'll get opportunities. And when you get your opportunities, you take them, you know? And I feel like from me being nice, not being selfish, just from doing that, I feel like a lot of good opportunities have come my way. And yeah, so I'm actually, I'm actually, very, I'm proud of myself for that. You know, and I'm so glad how it all worked out, you know, and it's so great. Me and James and the other James are best of friends and we're all kind of crushing it in our own way when it comes to online PT and taking over the fitness industry, bruv. Taking over, not just the fitness industry. You'll see me on TV one day, hopefully. Brat, brat. Um, yeah, but um, yeah, so that was the whole Australia story. And in Australia, at that time in my life, um, I decided that, I could no longer be with that person. And I was like, nah, I can't be doing this no more. I moved out, I moved into Surrey Hills, had the time of my life, met so many good people. I was meeting up with my clients, having dinners, chatting to girls. Like it was, it was good, I needed that. You know, I needed that in my life at that time. And I said, I'm gonna do the summer in Australia. I said to the boys and I was like, but then I'm leaving. I said, then I'm leaving. And I think when I said that, Smith saw, like he saw something in my eyes, something that I knew that would happen. I knew when me and him were together, we created great content. We're both very competitive, but in a healthy way. And he at the time was going through a bit of a patch as well. He broke up with his girlfriend at the time. I'm sure he won't mind me saying. So did I. So we were both in like a bit shitty places. And I was like, I need to leave Australia. I need to leave. Like I need to get out of here. I need like a fresh start, whatever. I completed Sydney. I did it. I done it. I completed it. I did three years here, you know? I did my time. Let me out, man. Um, yeah, and then James Shaw, my my best mate, one of Smith's best mate, and his business partner, he was like, you boys are going to Bali. And we were like, what? What do you mean we're going to Bali? He's like, the weather's not good in the UK. What are you going to do in the UK? So we ended up coming to Bali, where I am now, where I'm recording this podcast and video, and actually had, like, <laughs> the time, the time of my life. Actually had the time of my life. And it was so 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 good um it's where i started brazilian jiu-jitsu it's where i met so many good friends uh, it's where i experienced so many new experiences it's what me and james were sharing a room in like this little hostel right we were sharing a room i didn't even know him much at the time but we were sharing a room and when we left sydney a lot of people didn't know this through socials and stuff i only had like three thousand two three thousand followers at the time I was going through a very, very, very difficult time, probably the most difficult time I've ever been through. And Smith was going through a very difficult time too. And people wouldn't know this, but when me and Smith were leaving, 
right? We were both in tears. Like <laughs> we were both, we were both crying at the airport. No one knew this. And we had to kind of like hit each other and be like, all right, man, come on, man. This is not good for business. We need to like man up and start storing again. People like keep asking us what you guys doing? Why aren't you guys storing and all of that stuff. And it was nice to have each other. And I think in a weird way, I think we kind of rely on each other for that reason. I think we became very close because we were both going through a very shitty patch at the same time, which kind of helped us build a good friendship. You know, we saw each other at our worst and came to Bali, had a great time. And yeah, again, like I said, learned jiu-jitsu here, started jiu-jitsu here, met a load of people and I started traveling, which was the best thing. And when it came towards the end of our time in Bali, after I knew I needed to go back home, I haven't seen my family at this point for like 18, 19 months, I was ready to go home. We ended up flying back to the UK. And you know what? That's gonna be part one of who is Diren. And I'm gonna come back at you guys with part two because on part two, Number one, I don't want to bore you guys. And number two, part two is great. It's where like me and Smith first went to Body Power. It's where I first supported him in his, um, on his tour. When I didn't even know I was supporting him. You know, I was just there supporting a friend and they just threw me the bloody microphone, which was pretty, pretty crazy. But I'm going to save that for part two because I don't want to bore you guys. And I just want to say thank you guys for listening. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope... Um, you guys better subscribe to this. Show me some love. Share this on your stories. I never ask this sort of stuff, you know. But you know what? Share it on your stories. Share the channel. Show me some love. Because I deserve it, yeah? I deserve it. Um, now I'm messing. Just want to say thank you, guys. And I hope, I hope you guys will tune in next time. And I'm going to, in episode two, I'm going to bring in someone to interview. In episode three or four, I'll talk a little bit about me. Part two. Part two. Boom, no gang size on YouTube. Peace, love, see you guys soon.